Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. This episode is titled Top Waters for Reds in Skinny Water, and I'm going to be talking to Captain Daniel Griffey of On Deck Fishing Charters out of the Moorhead City area. We will be covering such areas as gear, top water selection, uh, we're going to be talking about evaluating locations and tides, boat positioning, and setup. A lot to cover. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and here in our latest and greatest chapter, the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series, where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their insights, their knowledge on how to catch more fish more often. And in this endeavor, I am joined every week with Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Hey, Billy, welcome to another podcast. Hey, what's up, Gary? Good to see you, man. Uh, as always, looking forward to talking about fishing or hearing about fishing. I should right say. on, man. And people love top waters. People love captains. Love to mention top waters, and uh, people will want to learn about it. So I think this is going to be a popular podcast, man. I mean, I think the the intrigue is there. Yeah, man. All, all of our topwater episodes are typically firing off pretty heavy. So um, it's the most exciting bite on the water, in my opinion. But, you know, who am I? Anyway. Look at you. Look at you talking like you know, man. You did that great. I'm, I almost let that go through. Like, God, you know just, what you're talking about. I just rehearsed that so many times before the episode. I'm like, I got to sound smarter when it comes to fishing. You're legit, oh, man. Listen, you've been, wow, look at me. you've actually been paying attention to these podcasts, man. Next step is actually throwing a rod, throwing a line in the water. I know. I, I think I'm about ready for a redfish tattoo right on my forearm. <laughs> All right. I'll pay. I'll pay. Or maybe, maybe a little tramp stamp of a, of a trout. I don't know yet. I'm undecided. I'll definitely pay for that. I'll definitely pay for either <laughs> of those. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, before we lose our sponsors, I probably should shout them out and stop talking about tramp stamps, which we got Bland Landscaping Company. We'll shout these guys out first. Uh, Bland Landscaping, uh, super great sponsors, came on. They love the podcast, big fans of it and listeners. Uh, so you support their company in a couple ways. One, if you're looking for a career opportunity, they're always looking for great people to come work on their team. They are like-minded outdoors people. So get up early, go to work, get the job done, go home, be with your friends and family. And then um, also, I'm sure if you need some work done by them, reach out and see if it's in their wheelhouse and, and get that work done. So, Yeah, man, it's that season where sometimes you're faced with the decision. Do I get caught up in yard work or I put the boat in the water? And it seems like an bland landscaping can make that an easy decision if you just hire them to take care of your yard. Yeah. So go check out their website, blandlandscapingco.com or company.com. And next up, we got Marine Warehouse Center. I'm going to play a little message from them. I'll be right back. Marine Warehouse, we have everything. We have new boats. We have parts. We have accessories, new trailers. We have a complete service department with highly trained technicians. Anything you need to get out on the water, we have at Marine Warehouse Center, as we've grown over the last few years, now have a large section of marine supplies from start to finish for all your boating needs. What I love about this region is to be able to get out on the water, and also we love to be able to get you out on the water. The best part of working at Marine Warehouse is being able to get involved with the customers and share a love for the water. All yeah. right. There we go, man. They're living it, man. They're living it right now, man. But lots happening at Marine Warehouse Center, whether it's, you know, tidy cleaning boats up, cleaning them up for the water, selling new boats, parts, all of it, man. It's a hustle bustle place because everyone wants to be on the water right now, including me. Yeah, man. I just got a phone call actually from my neighbor yesterday, a FaceTime at the time that we we're recording this and he got a new motor, got a, got a John boat, bought a motor at Marine Warehouse. And I was like, did you tell him that we sent you over there? He's like, oh, I forgot. And I'm like, don't worry. I'll tell him. I'll tell all him. Right. All right. So Good. Marine Warehouse that guy bought that motor from you. I'm not going to say his name or what he bought, but you know who he is. <laughs> oh, that's good. We did that. Yeah, my buddy <laughs> bought a center console. It was like 21 foot. You know, I want, I want credit for that. I, I don't want to say his name, but he bought a 21 console, center console. Oh, this well, guy that listens to our podcast, he bought a boat too. Okay. <laughs> anyway. The last so look, person. If, this joke from Terrell this week, like, if you defend this, then I know you're sucking up to him for some reason because 
this can't be considered a good joke, even by you, who's a friendlier audience. All right. Are you ready for Terrell's joke? Not mine. Terrell's. Please be good. Please be good. I'm ready. It's not. Where did Bugs Bunny decide to park his boat? I, uh, uh, hmm. I don't know. It's that bad. Uh, I'm going to let you say it. Cause I, <laughs> At the what's up, Doc? <laughs> Okay, that was it. that was a better place than I thought it was going. I thought it was going to be something about a hole or something. Oh, like, my this, God. This is getting weird. Clean it up. <laughs> clean it up. What's I'm going to clean it up. What's up? That's a pretty good one, Terrell. All right. Not You're the best. Up. He's not going to give you a not boat. I'm going to tell Terrell um, that if he gives you a boat, the sponsorship's over. Look, I need, if I, look, if we could sell like 10 boats by the end of this episode, maybe they would give me a boat. Maybe. So I need ten. I need ten of you to go buy a boat right now. Billy Thorpe here with Marine Warehouse Center. We got boats, boats, boats. All right. Anyway, I want to show you a fish picture before Please. I lose any more listeners. All right. We got Hamilton Vaughn from Pamlico with a 25 inch redfish caught using a cut mullet on a bottom rig in the Pamlico River. Uh, it's a good looking fish there. Good job, Hamilton. Um, Pretty background yeah. too, man. That looks like a place I uh, want to be. I know. I was like, what phone did they take that with or camera? It's a good one. I was surprised. You know what? You know how I know he wasn't fishing with a captain? Because he would have been laying in the bottom of the boat holding uh, the fish up like this. Not letting <laughs> anyone see anything in the background. <laughs> yeah. uh, people are screen capturing this right now. Like, where's that at? <laughs> they might be. They might be. Oh, man. Hey, uh, look, I also at this point remind people that we are well underway with our weekly fishing reports and forecasts. It is a membership driven service that we're providing behind a paid wall. But if you thought to yourself, man, I wish I knew more often what was happening, weekly fishing reports and forecasts delivered via fishermanspost.com video and audio format. Just go to fishermanspost.com and click on member content. Yeah, it's so good that even Gary Hurley uses the information on his own boat and catches fish. That's true. That's so, yeah, that was a fact. So yeah, testimony right there. First testimony yeah. came from you. <laughs> All right, Gary, I'll let you guys talk about fishing. I'll shut up with bad jokes now. I'm going to be with Terrell if I don't behave. Yeah, I'm going to talk top otters with Daniel Griffey. But Billy's best takeaway is how we are going to end this episode like we end every episode. So some insight on top orders, Billy's best takeaway. You got I'll it? I'll be ready for it. All right, yep. that's your assignment. So now it is my pleasure to introduce to the show Captain Daniel Griffey on deck fishing charters out of the Moorhead City area. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be on here. Yeah, man. Appreciate you talking to us. Love the topic you picked out. Like I said, I believe it's going to be a popular one. A lot of interest in topwaters, topwaters for redfish and skinny water. But before we let you get to the main event of talking about topwaters and skinny water, as tradition goes, there are two questions for you to answer. You, you tell me you're ready. I give you question one. I'm ready. Question number one. Why should we listen to anything you have to say about a redfish or a topwater? Why? Uh, well, I moved down here to the coast in the fall of 2005 after I graduated college. And I was an inshore uh, fisherman, bass fisherman, growing back up in the mountains. And when I caught my first redfish, I was hooked. And it was basically, it's basically saltwater bass fishing is what I tell people. It's bass fishing on steroids. Um, but I've been doing it since 2005, 17, 18 years, chasing them and, uh, it's, it's like a drug to me. So I've caught them from Newburn to Swansboro, all the way out to Cape Lookout, all over every way you can think of, and is a passion. Uh, so I've caught plenty of them, and uh, I learn something every day. Even though I've done it a long time, I, I learn something every time I'm out there on the water and just put it in my library for next time I go out. Um, that is a passable answer. You are moved on to question number two. And I played on your name on deck. I know you have an athletic background when you're not on the water. So here is your non-fish. I might have a couple for you. Here's your first okay. non-fishing related question. What dumb professional sport has fields that aren't consistent? One field in one city may have different dimensions from another field in another city. What dumb sport is that? That would be baseball. <laughs> See how I set you up with dumb? See yeah. how I forced you to do that? <laughs> yeah. All right, question number two. 
what dumb sport has two leagues with a different rule in one league than the other league? Uh, that would be uh, baseball. Yeah, designated hitter. That would be dumb. But they baseball changed that again. this year. They changed they? that this year. Yeah, the NL and the AL both have designated hitters because they hate watching pitchers hit. <laughs> Damn it! My question was dated. All right, that's all right. Let's move on. People want us to move on. In your talking points, I think you were going to talk about gear first. So I guess we're talking about gear, and then we'll actually move into top hitter selection. Is that right? Yeah, that works. Okay, man. What you got? So for for me, um, I like to throw about a three inch top water lure. Everybody's got their favorites. Mine are uh, a Heaton uh, Super Spook Junior, and I've I've used every color combination you can think of. Um, and now I've just got to the point where I strictly get two or three colors. So I would tell people to limit the number of colors you get. Their reds are not near as finicky as trout are. Uh, when it comes to color selection and i like a chartreuse you can use it in stained water dirty water clear water uh it doesn't really matter but if i didn't have chartreuse i would use a gold and black bat uh, black back style top water um the biggest thing about the top water is i like to be able to throw it and down here it, you're always in the wind so you have to be able to throw something that won't helicopter on you so you can get the distance that you need and the uh, the spook uh doesn't do that. Uh, I used to use a lot of the uh, Rapala skitter walks, but they would, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about when I say helicopter, instead of going like a football, they kind of propeller sideways and it loses your casting distance. But anything three inches is what I typically like to use. Um, I know fish eat big baits, but every time I throw on the huge topwaters for redfish, uh, not bull reds, but just, you know, slot reds, they, they like a smaller profile bait. Um, I also think the noise of which your bait makes matters. Where if you're fishing in calm water, you want what I'll call badonka uh, donks have a low pitch and a high pitch version. I think mirror lure topwaters do too. Um, so if you're in like a, a, a calm, very calm water, I like a low pitch. It has like a, that deep thump, uh, ball bearing going back and forth in it. And if I'm in a little more wavy water, uh, or higher wind area, I like a high pitch, kind of makes it sound like a, a school of bait, is what I've been told. Um, sounds like in the water when they shift from one side to the other as they're getting chased. So that's kind of my go-tos on the top waters. Um, and like I said, I've messed around with the sizes and the, the sounds, but from the constant uh, progression, I've seen that your the size profile matters and the noise uh, that it makes matters. So I got a, a question, I guess, a follow-up on that. And uh, I've wondered about this, and, I, and you mentioned already, like, low pitch and high pitch. So the high pitch works better in the wind because it sounds like bait, but is the low pitch in, the, in less wind, isn't that supposed to sound like bait too? Or I, yeah, I, but, I don't understand so, the theory. So, so what, what I think uh, from what I've seen, I think the low pitch is kind of like if you have, you know, if you have calm situations, you hear everything. Um, so uh, the fish can hear everything and that, that low thump would be kind of like a drum and that aggravates them. It ain't so much like it's making it sound like it's a school of bait at that point. It's, it's just something that's really aggravating to them and it catches their attention. I tell people the same thing with, with a popping cork. If you're not popping it and hear the noise, you're doing it wrong. And it's not, I've heard people or I've heard things, you know, it's supposed to sound like shrimp clicking through the water. Well, I've never heard a shrimp click in the water. But I do know that if somebody's out and they shoot a gun or somebody claps their hands, you're going to turn and look. And this is the same principle when it comes to reds. You make that thump and you make that noise and that fish turns to see where that noise came from and wants to investigate what it was. And then, of course, when they see the action and the movement and they can't get that noise out of their head, I think the, the low uh, tendency is what they just it drives them crazy. It ain't the fact that they're chasing bait. Whereas I think in the higher pitched version, when you have the wind, now the fish are competing with the sounds of the wind, the sounds of the waves crashing, the boats, whatever else is around you. So you want something that's going to be a little higher pitch. that's going to break through that water and go a longer distance um, so that the, you know, then it might sound like fish are trying to move away from something. So I think one is based on uh, bait and the other one is just based on trying to aggravate the mess out of them to make them hit it. And that's a great explanation. I love so the low pitch might be more the the drumming of another drum, 
and the high pitch is just more doesn't have to mock that but it just has to compete yeah. with other noise okay yeah. and then i mean you you gave a good explanation but I, again i just know my crowd likes specifics so if we're wrapping up our sort of top water selection you know if you have four top waters that you're allowed to go out in and i mean I, or maybe two for low wind two for higher wind what are they what are what are the brands and what are the colors i get that it's three inch but i'm just yeah, going to force you around to circle back to that my my go if, if you gave me if you gave me one only one top water it's going to be a heaton uh super spook junior in chartreuse that's my number one um is that low or high pitch they're, they are all the same they're all low pitch there's no okay. variation in those now you can get other spooks like they make big spooks and they make one knockers and all that stuff. The super spook junior is my go-to I'm sponsored by bomber lures. I've tried them all. They're in the same family as Heaton. Um, and I've used so many different variations of them that that's the one that I would, I would go to. In okay. fact, if you look in my box, I've probably got 25 of those and three of some other color. Right on. Because I don't want to lose those. But um, if I had another, a second one, it would be the bomber badonkadonk uh in a high pitch that way i have a low pitch in the spook and a high pitch in the badonkadonk and the color of the badonkadonk would be the gold black gold black i have seen years and this happens um where like one year about six years ago all they all i could get them to hit the most was a mullet color uh, so i carry some of those too but if you give me two top waters it's going to be the heat and salt water super spook junior and chartreuse and a golden black back uh, all right so so what about gear what about rod reel line yeah. and leader selection what about what's going to sort of make this whole thing work yeah i have a lot of discussions on this with, with people and i think people get um too consumed with the strength of their braid the the line test and when you're doing reds fishing for reds and you're fishing skinny water you have to be able to cast a long ways um because it, especially when you can see them you you can't get on top of them because then you spook them. So I love to throw a 10 pound fins wind tamer. I've been, I'm sponsored by fins. I've been with them since 2009. I've used power pro and J braid and just Berkeley fire line, but fins is the one that you can throw it every day and it doesn't really start to fade and separate and fan out like some of the others do. Uh, I have never broke a fish off due to the 10 pound strength, but, I know that if you have 20 or 15, I cannot throw you by 25 yards. And that could be the difference in catching a fish. So 10 pound fins wind tamer. Uh, I like the green. Uh, I don't like high vis yellow for uh, inshore or anything like that. And, and again, I've used every color that they make and that green is what I go with. I like a, I like a 20 to 25 pound leader. And I think it depends on the time of year, like this time of year, I'll, I'll use a 20 pound leader when we get deeper into the summer and the fall when the fish are heavy and I'm really concentrating around structure. I'll bump it up to a 25 pound leader, but nothing. I've never needed anything more than that, but I wouldn't go less. Uh, and a, a seven foot medium heavy action rod is what I use. I'm not the type that likes to uh, watch my rod bend. I want to, when I set the hook, I want the rod to do its job and set the hook in the fish and then the rod wears the fish out. Um, I'm not the type that wants to battle them and hope that I don't lose them. So I'll use a medium heavy action rod, seven foot long and a 2,500 uh, Daiwa BG reel is what I go to. All right. So once again, I got some follow-ups as far as leader length, what do you like for length of leader? Um, Depend on the, the, you know, obviously how clear your water is. If it's super clear, I like to use about maybe a foot and a half a liter. Um, anything, I mean, I've used it as far as like six inches, but a, a foot is a minimum and then a foot and a half, depending on the clarity of the water. Around here in Newport River, where uh, North River, it's, it's real muddy. Noose River is, you know, it looks like sweet tea. So I'm not in the clear water as much as I am uh, the stained water. So a foot to a foot and a half, 12 inches, 18 inches of leader is fine. I, I don't reel my lure up so tight that if my my uni to uni knot is touching my rod tip and my lure is like halfway down my rod, it's too it's too long. Uh, that's kind of how I judge it. Uh, you don't reel your lure up to the 
rod tip and you don't have it hanging. You don't, I, I hate when somebody reels their line and their leader through their eyes because every time you throw it out, it hits those eyes. And you can use an FG knot or the smallest knot made, it's still going to hit those eyes and those eyes are going to bust eventually. And that could break off a fish too. Well, man, that's a great answer. And you actually already hit on one of my next questions. And it is, I have, you know, viewers and listeners who email in and say, hey, will you ask people more questions about knots? So I was going to, one, I was going to ask, you know, leader to braid. And it sounds like uni to uni is your go-to since you already mentioned that unprompted. But what about the knot of tying the top water to the leader? Is that a loop knot or is that something that cinches down? That's another thing too. And when I, um, I mean, I've, I've used all the knots you can think of. Um, I used to use a loop knot. And, you know, when I started guiding uh, three years ago, you ain't got time sometimes to tie loop knots for three or four different people. And I just started tying my, I tie an improved clinch knot. And I tie two of them. I tie one improved clinch knot to the lure and I tie another one on top of that. I started that when I was a little kid. I know there's knots you can tie that never break but when i was a little kid using my little push button zevco 202 sometimes that knot would slip out and so i just started tying two improved clinch knots on top of each other and that's what i that's what i always do uh, i haven't seen a fish ever pull up to the lure and look up and say hey it's not moving good enough for me i'm not going to eat this you know they are not getting that close this is a type of bite that is they're agitated and they're going to eat. It's not a, they're sitting there trying to figure out what type of knot it is, what color the lure is, what size hooks you got there. They're there to to mash that bait. So I want something that's gonna be tight to the lure. I have seen uh, loop knots fail because sometimes that, you know, the, the, the paint on the lure can chip and the, uh, your eye, the hook of your eye can get some rust on it. And that can, that, you know, every time it slides in and out left and right of your lure, it's pretty much sawing your leader. Um, so I like it. I mean, I like it tight to the, to the lure. Okay, man. So I love the next topic, like evaluating locations. And I know you, you sort of had tides tethered in there. So, yeah. and people are always curious about the where, and of, of course we have people in the Moorhead area that are going to be watching, listening, but we have plenty of people elsewhere that are hoping you're going to give us some insight that they can apply to their backyard, not just to the Moorhead backyard. Yeah. And I tell people too, you know, this is what I do. This is my game plan, my thought processes and what I've experienced. So if the badonka donk or the spook might not work for you, use what you're comfortable with. But uh, down here we have both a, a sand bottom and a mud bottom. So towards the inlet, towards the haystacks, towards um, middle marsh area out to Cape Lookout, it's all sand. And typically when the tide's coming in, I like to fish sandy bottom. And again, this depends on the winds, uh, depends on the boat activity. You know, if it's a Saturday, like 12 o'clock, and I'm trying to fish incoming tide on a sandy bottom, but that's over there near middle marsh where everybody's going to shack and partying. It's probably not, probably going to be a little weighty messing around with boats. So, you know, you got all these other elements that affect that. But if, if it's a normal day, good day to go fishing. Incoming tide, I like to fish sandy bottoms. And the reason is because the water is cleaner when it comes in. It's not as murked up and muddy. And I can see the fish. Uh, the fish can see your bait better. Even And even if it is a little murky, that incoming tide is clean where if you go into the river system, you're bringing up straight mud. And it's almost, you know, chocolate milk looking sometimes. And I just think that affects the way the fish uh, bite because they can't really see what they're they're eating uh, and you're throwing a topwater lure and you can put scents on it. But again, they're not sitting there sniffing it. They're, they're reacting to it and, and mashing it off a of reaction. So incoming tide, I fish sandy bottoms, uh, a falling tide. That's when I move into the river systems cause that tide, as it comes in and fills up, it's going through the grass. Well, I tell my clients this too, is that when the, the, the redfish, they are meals for sharks and dolphins. So, you want, they're going to be tight to structure, whether it's an oyster rock, whether it's a, a marsh bank, uh, you know, some little cut. And as that tide comes in, if they stay there, they're going to be easier prey for a dolphin or shark. So they move into the grass and that's where, you know, high tide, they'll get way back up in there. I've seen them in inches of water, belly crawling. As that tide turns, they have to come out. Otherwise they're going to get stuck. And this naturally they run out and they run right to the edges and they come out as a tide comes a lot what allows them, you know, so they won't be prey. 
But when that tide in the marsh and the mud systems, it's been filtered twice. So it's been filtered going through the marsh once. And then as it comes out, it's being filtered again. And it cleans the water up and all the nutrients and everything that's, you know, little, little grass shrimps and any crabs are also getting flushed out. So that's why those fish will be in there. The water's cleaner. I'll, I'll, Brian Goodwin, uh, God, uh, Native Guide Service, he told me this a long time ago. He said, you want the water to look like sweet tea. And I, I, I believe that 100% that when that water comes out of a mud bottom like a Newport River, North River, it looks like sweet tea. And that's when the visibility is good for you, for the fish. And it's just been filtered twice. So it's cleaner and fish are just like us. They like clean spaces to live and to eat and to thrive. So you just keep giving me great explanations of why, and I love the why answer, you know, not just telling me what to do, but giving me the why, um, to keep you on location. I, you know, are you looking for areas like depending on the tide? Are you liking water that's no more than three feet deep, no more than two feet deep? Are you liking any kind of structure around, whether that's a grass line, whether that's oyster rocks, like whether it's grass on the bottom in the sand? What else, what else factors into, you know, like, or what would you look at if I put you in Southport, Oak Island area, like, and you were on Google Earth mm -hmm. or wherever on the water, what is it that you like? So, well, like for, I would look for uh, structure. And if I'm throwing topwaters, I like to be around oyster rocks or creek mouse that's got a one way in, a one way out type deal. Uh, I like points that are really really defined by oyster rock not like one that they can slip around but one that kind of a long oyster bar that may drop off um I, when i'm fishing reds i'm i'm in three foot or less i hardly ever am in eight foot of water uh five foot of water i'm typically my trawler motor is going to bump the bottom so i'm pretty shallow uh even at high tide when i'm fishing for reds um especially here i mean like when you fish in this river it's a little different because you got the drop offs but I'm still fishing right up against the bank. If you're, if your lure don't hit the bank, then you need to cast it again. You're just wasting a cast because it's, they're, they're not hanging out in that spot, that three foot spot because they're prey. So they're going to be tight to the bank. So what I'm looking for is what's holding them there. Is it the ocean rock that they're eating the mud crabs out of? Is there bait? You know, is there, is there a uh, mullet around? Is there shrimp around? I like a, a, a bank that the wind is blowing with it, um, not making it wavy. I like it to be smooth where the wind's at my back. Um, but I like pinch points where you can go down a bank, you can see bait swirling around it, coming around that oyster rock, and knowing they're going to be on one side or the other uh, to throw at. And then, and then I tell people this too. So if I'm fishing, I don't know, Southport or Bald Head Island or something like that, and I go to a spot that has a, creek mouth and I float in there if I'm an oyster rock that's the first thing I'm gonna look for something a oyster rock or you, you know if I'm in this river I'm looking for stumps or logs or trees laying down in the water and I find that and then I catch a fish the next place I go needs to have that exact same dimension where I'm not going to go to a flat that has no oyster rock or no creek mouth I'm going to go to another place that has a creek mouth entrance uh, a little pinch point oyster bar, oyster rock with some water flowing around it. And if there was bait there, I want to see that same bait there. You want to recreate the exact same process you caught fish at, at every spot you go to. Now, is that the same when you're fishing sandy bottoms out more towards Shack Middle Marsh? Yeah. When I'm, um, I mean, it's amazing to me. Uh, you can go in Middle Marsh and like I've fished it for years and there's like, I catch fish in three or four spots. I fished the entire thing from one end to the other, every way you can think of every tide. And there's always fish in certain spots. And I don't know why they're not, I mean, you, you might catch one somewhere else, but you can go back and they don't reproduce where there are a couple spots in there that reproduce every single year. I call them homes. That's their homes. The other ones you're just catching in transition from one spot to the other. Um, and, but I'll look for that. I'll look for, uh, give me a, a bay. And when I say a bay, it's not real big, but find me an entrance. And it's got some type of structure that has breakups along that. If I'm going out long bank, I don't want it just to be straight bank. I don't want it just to be a straight sand flat. I want there to be some type of breakup, whether it be an oyster rock, a drop off, a potholes, uh, the grass underneath. I want to see something like that because that's what's going to hold fish. Otherwise, 
If there's no breakup, it's like an interstate. You just keep on going till you get to where your your home is. Well, gotcha, man. And so this might be our segue into boat positioning. Mm-hmm. You know, if we are, you know, I, I guess we have to go over a couple of scenarios. Like if we're targeting fish up against the grass line, up against the bank, close. I mean, I guess you were planning to talk about this, like how far off the boat is, what your angle of attack is. Give me some insight on boat positioning. So, um, yeah, there's a couple of different scenarios. If you if you're like in the fall, this pops in my head. When I think of the fall and the fish are chasing the shrimp out of the grass, and you can see the shrimp jumping. Um, you know, when they're when they're doing that, they're typically right up against the grass, and I like to be in front of them or they're coming towards me, but not. I kind of angle myself. I always tell everybody throw at a 45 degree angle to the bank. And if you were to draw a line, the the, the marsh grass is your, is one line and your boat draws a straight line from there straight across and you make a zone, almost like a football field. And you have a zone that runs down in between there. You're not going to throw outside of that zone. You want to stay inside that zone and work your lure inside that, I don't know, five foot area back to the boat at a 45 degree angle. That way you cover every area but if you see those fish coming you want them coming to you and when they're going one direction they're not stopping to like you throw it behind them they're not going to stop turn around and go back and get it they are moving forward eating they're actively eating so you have to stay in front of them so i like to position my boat in front if if you don't see the fish let's say the the tide's falling out and the the wind's blowing out of the north so that mean if i'm fishing newport river it's going the wind's blowing towards the ocean and the tide's going the same direction. I like to angle my boat with the wind and the tide going the same direction. So from my boat is going to be pointing towards where the ocean would be, if that makes sense. I do not like fishing with the water or wind in my face. One, it takes away from your casting distance. But when you got tide and it's working back to you, you can't properly work that lure. You have to work it faster than you might need to, where if my boat is sitting at an oyster rock, the tide's going out and I'm past the oyster rock throwing towards the ocean, bringing it back across that rock. I can always open my bell, let it float back down. I can work it slower. I can work it faster. I can really work that zone over versus uh, like trout fishermen in the mountains. They like to be upstream and cast it where the lure comes back to them. When you do that, it gets wrapped in your trolling motor. It gets back to you too fast. There's, there's a lot of, uh, sag in your line so you get a top quarter fish and he hits it and you've lost him because you didn't have a good hook set you have to have the wind and your uh tide going the same direction well that that's what uh i mean you led right into where i was going to go so you're you like to drift with the tide and then yep. cast up in front of you and bring yep. it back and i'll um, tell you i'll tell you why this too so if i'm going with the tide i, I said this in your school uh when we had it here at moorhead city and some guys were kind of questioning what i was saying if, if you're on my boat and we're fishing and we're floating down going with the tide and the trolling motor's on and you hook up with a fish, if I power pole down and I'm going against it, the boat's going to spin. And then you're walking around the boat, right? If I don't have a power pole and I keep drifting, I'm drifting past those fish, right? So now I can stop and I can stay behind and I, I still got the entire area to cover where if I – if the water's coming to me, it's pushing me away from the fish. Now I have to get back up there. I have to find that spot. And then I have to start the process back over again, where if the tide's going with me, I just stop right there. Tide's still going out and I haven't missed any fishing grounds whatsoever. Okay. I, I follow that logic. And so that's more important to you than, you know, wind and your ability to cast far. I mean, again, I get you ideal conditions, tide and wind, same direction, but you much rather have, the tide in your favor than wind in your favor. If between the two, you pick tide. Oh, I, um, there's a thing. You're not going to go against the tide just to have the wind at your back. Right. So this is what I tell people too. Like, you know, we run two half day charters and the morning tide is going to be different than the the afternoon tide. You got might be incoming. I can't, I might not be able to fish the spot that I want to fish. I might find fish on the incoming tide spot. In the afternoon, I, I know there's fish there, but I can't fish it because the tide's not allowing me to or the wind's not allowing me to. So you have to have – that's where you take 
the situation of find your basis. Was it an oyster rock? Was it a creek mouth? Was it moving water in the same direction? And position your boat at a new spot with those same elements. You know, there's plenty of times I go fishing and I want to go fish here, but I can't because the wind and the tide are not right. So I'll go somewhere else. And I always want those two together. Um, kind of like if the tide, I don't know how to really explain this, but like in the ICW, we got, you know, you got wind driven tide from the Noose River and then you got the tidal driven water from the ocean in our ICW up here. And if the tide's coming in and the wind's blowing from the north, you got water on the top going one direction and water on the bottom going the other direction. And the fish hate that. That shuts them down. They do not like that. But once that tide and it, once that tide turns, you got the tide going out, wind coming from the north, and it's all blowing and flowing in the same direction. I'll fish that. I will not fish it that morning. I just I I throw my hands up and say I'll go fish somewhere else where I can get the wind and the tide in my favor. I follow. Um so what's your thought on how much time you invest in a spot before you say it's time to move on? I, I have ADD really bad and I cannot, if I know fish are there, I'll sit there and I'll fish it for a good 10, 20 minutes. If uh, I, I, I also do a thing, I, I'm, since I'm a basketball coach, a baseball coach, I call it the rule of three. You could tell me, say, you call me up and say, hey man, I caught these fish here at this spot right here and I'll go fish it and it happens where I don't catch them. And you're like, man, I killed them there. And I'll go fishing again. I fish, I do it three times. I'll fish one spot three times. If I don't catch a fish, I won't go back. I'll, I'll maybe on another day, but I'm not coming back there because I've fished it three times. I know what I'm doing. I've used different things. I'll stop. If it's a spot that I have caught fish, I will make sure I covered every, every, every position. I've, I've covered the outside, the inside, the, the shore side. I've covered, you know, all we fish on the bottom, top, floating stuff. And if I don't get a bite in like five minutes, I'm moving because the thing is those fish might be there, but you can't make a fish bite. How many times you've seen a red come up to your lure and he won't eat it and, you know, or, or a trout and you fill them and they just won't eat it. Something's got to change for that fish to eat. You can always come back to a spot, but I will never sit at a spot and wait, and wait, and wait, and wait, and wait for them to turn on because you'll get heartbroken. I'm going to go find those fish somewhere else that's active. And I can always come back. So about five, 10 minutes if I'm on a troll motor. If we ain't getting no hits, I'm moving. I can't sit there. All right. Um, all right. Now, a question that comes up all the time talking about top waters is how important is it to be in the morning? How important is it to be overcast? Can you do it all day long? Yeah. Like, give it, give me your thoughts. Um, I had this discussion with a lot of people too. Uh, morning is the best. Morning is, is, I think fish are just like us. They wake up and they're hungry and they're ready to eat. Um, morning would be, if you're going to book a trip with me, morning is the best. Overcast, an overcast day all day is my favorite. And of course, I've had those days where it's overcast and we don't do that good. But overcast, I think, uh, matters. But the thing down here is we're, we're fishing two to three foot of water all the time. These fish aren't like in the Pamlico or in the noose where you might be fishing 10 foot of water. They're not coming from 10 foot up. So you can throw a top water all day long. I can't tell you how many people I've had on my boat and it'll be 12 o'clock, two o'clock sun straight up above us. And they're like, you're throwing that. Yeah. Those fish are in a foot, two foot of water. Like it's coming right across their head. They're not having to be in real deep water where it's cooler because it's 95 degrees outside. They're in two foot. It's going right across their head. They'll eat it just the same way. And I can't tell you how many people catch one. They're like, man, I thought I had to put this thing up at nine o'clock. I'll throw one all day long. All right. I got some more questions. These are all, I'm going through my standard question bank at top waters. So, you know, you're a guide, you got people on your boat of different, differing skill levels. So I'm guessing you have to have a conversation with them. You know, most of them, if not all of them about, what happens when that bait gets a little bit of attention? Well, you know, one, to keep them from yanking, two, like whether or not to stop, pause, whether to keep it going. Tell me how you coach people on your boat. Uh, we had this happen the other day on a, on a trip. A guy had a top water blow up and the fish hit it like three times. And he asked, he said, well, what do I do? And I just keep working. You keep working. He's interested. He's hit it three times. Eventually he's going to get it. If you don't get him, you just throw it back out. He was that interested. He'll probably hit it again. And in fact, the guy's uh, girlfriend caught it, stole it from him on a spoon. Uh, I tell people one is 
you, there's no bass set. There's no bass hook sets because you'll you'll pull it out. The bat, the redfish's mouth is underneath. It's like a carp. It's not a, a coming up on top and opening his mouth like a largemouth bass. So you see the hit and you just pull tight. You pull tight. You reel that that slack. You pull tight and then you keep your rod. I learned this from Randy Clark. You keep your rod high to the sky, as high as you can point it, and that directs the fish over the oyster rocks. If you point that thing to the ground, he's going to take you down. He's going to break your heart and cut you off on an oyster rock uh, or some type of structure that you're fishing around. So I, that's pretty much what I'm telling him. High to the sky. Keep it high. Keep it tight. When he wants to run, just sit there. Just let him run. If you need to follow him around the boat, follow him around the boat. But don't crank while he's pulling. You'll pull him out. Um, and once he stops, that's when you you keep your rod tip high, but you keep cranking. All right. I got more questions. You in? Yeah, let's go. All right. So we're on a school of fish. I mean, it doesn't have to be a big school. I mean, I don't know. You can take over on that element. So if I'm hooking a fish out of that school, what's the school's reaction? You know, are they curious? Are they interested? Or are they freaked? I think it depends on the time of year. I think it depends on are they actively feeding? If they're actively feeding, they don't, they're not scared. I mean, it, when they're actively feeding, uh, and I love it when I can get clients on the boat and show them fish like eating the shrimp. And you throw anything, you could throw a Cheeto in there. It don't matter. They're going to eat it. Um, they're not spooked. They're there for one thing, and they're there to eat. So you just keep pounding them. What you got to hope is that when you catch them, they don't disappear on you. And, you know, those, those schools that will sit in a certain area that you can keep your eye on is the best because then you don't have to lose them and try and find them again. There are many times we get in school and you catch one or two and the school just keeps moving. You know, two of their buddies are out fighting for their life and they're still eating. They're like, oh, okay, see ya. They're still moving forward, eating whatever they were chasing. So we fight those fish and get them in the boat and then we're trying to relocate that school and hopefully it happens. Sometimes it don't. Um, I've seen it where it's one and done. It happened uh, last week on a charter. Uh, we got into this little bay and the fish were, you know, we, we hooked one and the guy, he pulled him, he pulled off. I saw six fish swim in front of us and they were booking. Now when they're, when they're like that, when they're not actively feeding, you got to hope you don't scare them. Uh, you got to hope you can get in front of them and you got to hope they eat because you might have one chance and these fish were one fish, one chance fish where we got into a bay and there was probably about 60 fish in two different pods. And you could see the wake. You could see the fish uh, they threw behind them. And then they got one good cast in, got one thump. But it was like those fish were not stopping. And they the, the school ran around us and kept on going. The next school came by. I mean, it was like as quick as you saw them, they were gone. And we never found them again. Uh, sometimes them fish will circle back and, and you know, I'll, I'll pull off them in the area and let them kind of calm down. They'll go right back. They're not going to go from one end of the marsh to like in middle marsh. They're not going to go from the North end to the South end. They're going to be in that same area. Cause that's what's keeping them, you know, something's keeping them there, whether it's food, whether it's shelter, whatever. But if you allow it to come down, they might come back to where you saw them. And then you repeat the process, you know, hopefully you get a good cast in and hopefully they bite. Um, you want those lazy schools, though. I've seen it where, you know, we're catching, you know, small fish. And over here, you got a school to our left, and that's the big fish. And up above, you got another separate school or wolf pack, you know, some people call them, of like 10, 15 fish. And you just want them to be fat and lazy and hungry and just eating. And uh, that's the fun schools. All right. Um, as far as, you know, your favorite time of the year to target Red Drum on top water. Uh, my favorite time of the year would have to be September to November. And the reason is because you have all the bait. Uh, at that time of year, you got pinfish in, you got mullet in, you have uh, shrimp in. So they are, they got so many options to eat and they like to, to you know, beef up for, the, for their winter, whether they're staying or they're going out in the ocean. Um, and they, they are so aggressive. They're so aggressive and they're, they're big and golden, you know, they, especially in the, the backwaters we got, they might turn orange like a pumpkin. Um, 
the if I had another and you know, gave me a, another option, it would be in June. For some reason, June is I don't know if it, it hasn't got so hot that the water's like miserable and the air temperature is not miserable. Uh, June is a fun month to straight topwater fish because those fish came in from the ocean. They're kind of setting up in their little home areas, what I call them. And you can throw topwaters all day long. And now they're trying to load up on food. That's usually when the mullet are, you know, have made an appearance. You start to see some shrimp, but you're trying to load up on those mullet and, you know, get fat. I also tell people, um, you know, your fish towards the inlet, you might catch a 27 inch red that's six pounds. And it's because the tide is constantly moving. And it's almost like them fish are eating while they're on a treadmill is the way I explain it to people. I was like, those river fish, though, they ain't fighting the uh, the tide and the current like like the ocean fish are. So those fish are sitting in their recliners eating, and they're just gorging and not burning as many calories. So they get – you might catch a 25-inch red that weighs 7 pounds, uh, which is what you want in a tournament. <laughs> yeah, man. All right. Uh, I think we're getting to the end. But what would be like – what would be some – definite don't do this or maybe some definite do this um don't don't have too heavy a line you don't want to hear you know whipping through your guides do not go straight braid to your lure you you need the uh you need the the leader um do not horse the fish the rod does the work the rod wears the fish down. Don't matter how big it is. You can catch a 40 incher on a seven foot trout rod. The rod does the work and wears them out. Um, don't horse them to the boat. You'll pull them hooks out. And I've seen so many heartbreaks, you know, people just, it, 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 for me, I feel it. I, I, of course I want people to catch fish, but when they hook one and that thing pulls the hooks and that lure floats up and that fish swims off, it is just, it, it sucks. There's no way to put it. Um, so don't horse them, just play them, you know, enjoy the fight. So then I guess that to the final question, man, anything I haven't set you up yet to say or any questions that you tend to feel that I just haven't thought of going through my sort of question bank, final thoughts. No, I think we covered, I think we covered a lot more than what I expected. Um, I, I tell people this too, you know, I, I've had a lot of people, well, where do you catch them? Where It ain't so much where you catch them because they might be in one place or other. Just get out and fish. You know, it's all trial and error. It's I'm not an expert. I'm not perfect. I don't know everything. I, like I said, I've been doing this for 18 years fishing down here, and I'm, I learn all the time. There's stuff. We caught uh, gray trout the other day, and I saw dolphins eating them. Like, I've never seen dolphins actively eating fish people throw back. And they had to throw them on the other side of the boat because the dolphins were right by, like, literally right beside the boat. So you, you see stuff and you learn stuff every day, but you take that. And the next time you go out, you add it to your library. So just get out and fish, experiment. And when you find something that works, just repeat the process. And there's nothing wrong with venturing out. You might come home with an L, you know, but you know next time, well, maybe there's there's many different things, elements in the fishing that allows you to catch fish. And once you figure some of those out and stay consistent with it, you'll catch more fish. Um Booking trips, you can call me directly. You can go through Chasing Tails uh, Outdoors. I run out of Chasing Tails. Great guys there. Matt Lamb does a great job uh, with that. Uh, tackle shops, the best on the beach. Um, got all the bait and lures you need, and uh, that's it. Well, Daniel Griffey, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation about red uh, redfish and topwaters. And, again, that is Captain Daniel Griffey on deck, fishing charters, man. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing so much. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. This was a good time. Uh, I appreciate it. Billy, do you agree? Was this a good time? Did he did he deliver? Uh, yeah. Yeah, more than delivered. Yeah, I was sitting there like, uh, hmm, I don't know what my best takeaway is going to be. So I'm still thinking about it. But I do, have, I do have a funny takeaway that I think no one probably caught because no one listens as tentatively as I do. Oh, okay. And, and that is don't take your girlfriend fishing. Um, that's right. I don't know if you heard it. He whipped it right in there. Like he said, what his clients was on the boat, the guy, you know, he's threw back out, but his girlfriend caught the fish. I'm like, guess why you don't think your girlfriend fishing? Jesus. <laughs> I was heartbroken for that guy. You poor sap. 
You're sitting she, there trying to catch a fish on top water and pulled your girl it away comes from in. him with a spoon. That I took that away from him. It's like she came in with a spoon when he was trying to finesse the top water, man. And yeah. and again, you know, a lot of these guys use top waters for more search baits. And then if you get something you and they're just not committing, you throw something else in. But I, I appreciate <laughs> your, you know, anti-girlfriend angle as well, man. I mean, anti-female. <laughs> I'm, I'm not, not in. Hold I'm on a not, second. Right. Um, <laughs> strike that from the record. I would like that stricken from the podcast, please. You're going to get me in trouble. My wife is, well, my wife's never watching the show. So watch You're safe. Neither is yours. I'm safe. Right. Yeah. Like I would, no, there's females who watch our show. I'm sure. I'm sure there is. Let us know in the comments so we can honor you appropriately, Gary. Jeez. Oh, Pete. Going to get us in trouble. Anyway. Yeah, I'm still not taking any fishing though. <laughs> I mean, my wife neither. She'll outfish me all day, still in fish. Yeah, because anyway. she'll listen to the captain. That's the that's the standard reply. Is that on charter trips, the females listen way better than the males, and consequently, the females do better results wise than the males who think they already know. Dude, anytime I've been on a boat where Leslie, your wife, is there <laughs> with you, she's she's smoking it, and you're not. Like she she's is. beating you every time. She, she listens. Yeah. So anyway, too much fun, man. Well, and, and one thing I did want to ask a question, and maybe you could give me the answer, or maybe I ask some other. I mean, but was he saying the wind and the tide going in the same direction is good? But if they're kind of yes. opposite of each other, then that's not good. Yes, that's is what he was okay. saying. All right, cool. So that was technically my best takeaway, but I wasn't sure I heard it exactly right. So I went with the girlfriend one. It was safer. Well, kind sort of. of. Sort of. <laughs> Until I butchered it and turned it into something else. Yeah, now you call me a woman hater. <laughs> oh, misogynist. Billy misogynist. I'm going to get canceled, dude. Just my part of the show is going to get canceled. I'm only in here for a couple minutes of show now. Now it's been, over for me. I've been wanting to get you back for all those I don't catch fish on my boat <laughs> comments. I've been waiting for this moment. Yeah, but that's not a lie. <laughs> <laughs> all right Gary. we better get out of here before we dig this hole any deeper like appreciate our sponsor. yeah our sponsors appreciate marine warehouse center uh for having our back even through all this stuff that gary's slandering me with and also bland landscaping company uh which they are looking for men and women uh to come work for them and so go go check those guys out all right gary we'll see you in the next episode man thank you so much Fisherman.